Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cami. Welcome back, Cami. Hello. Thank you, Bryant. Hello to you. How are you doing today? Uh, super fantastic. How are you? I'm. We're hanging in there. We're going. You know, a couple weeks in already. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, really fun topic last week, though. I thought that was really great. And just to roll right into it, I think we've got a great one for this week, too. Uh, we're going to be talking about the legendary bird or burb, as uh, it's known on the Internet, um, <laughs> the phoenix, which is great. And you can't I'm so glad we're doing this, Kami, because you can't Google it and Google Google will just be like Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> There's something that predates that by a few years. That's what we do here on Mystery. We, we like to talk about not Phoenix, Arizona, but Phoenix, the mythological bird, as well as other uh, Roman, Greek, but many more myths. And I think the thing I'm most excited about the Phoenix, Cami, I don't know if you got this in your story, your research, is that it's calling it Greek is not, it's not, it's not really there. I mean, it, in a way, but there's more to it than that. I'm really excited to discuss that soon. But first, you will regale us with a story, a tale. So please hit us with your Phoenix story. Awesome. I will. So I was telling Bryant earlier that with my research, there were a lot, there's a lot on it, but it's all sort of the same. Yeah. So I use several different sources here. I used uh, hideandrug.wordpress.com, which had the Herodotus translations on it. Uh, Theoe.com, which I know Bryant is a huge fan of, uh, for <laughs> yeah, for Ovid's Metamorphosis. Uh, Perseus.tufts.edu, Plenty of the Elder, Natural History, and a book called The Phoenix by Joseph Neg. Did did uh, <laughs> Celtic wedding rings have anything on Phoenix? <laughs> No. They cover us this time. All right, I just, I just wanted. To... No, they didn't. Okay, so from the hottest flames, this bird is formed, like Helios himself, born of fire. The baby bird does not feed on worms like most, or grains, or seeds, but feasts upon drops of frankincense and cardamom. He grows so big, his wings, when stretched, obscure the sun. For five centuries, he grows stronger, larger, and weary of his time. And as the end of those long years approach, he uses his talons and beak to build a nest atop the tallest palms, scented with the bark of cinnamon and myrrh. And in his perfumed home, he lies and refuses to move even his head in his deep and peaceful slumber. And the tales of Egypt, they say his nest is instead built upon the Temple of Ra after so many years. And he does not sleep in his nest, but makes an egg of myrrh. So large and grand, he is almost unable to transport it and buries himself or perhaps the body of his father inside. This brilliant bird with golden neck and purple body, his tail blue and vibrant red long feathers cresting from him. This lonely bird who would never meet his father, but becomes him. This bird brings with him a promise. For after his years are spent and he builds his nest and he rests or doesn't, the flames of the sun engulf him. He is burned in a fire so hot no mortal being and no normal egg could survive. He, however, is tempered in these flames, like the blade of a weapon. 
his body molded and formed into something new. In the break of day, a little bird, sooty and singed, emerges from his own undoing. And the little thing, when his wings can carry his weight, picks up his nest and brings it to the foot of the temple as an offering to the sun. And it is this image of restoration from the ashes, of a bird rising amidst the flames, that shows us hope will prevail in our darkest times, that though we feel all is lost, there is always a way to emerge, not unscathed, not unburdened, nevertheless renewed. Oh, I got that pun, unburdened. <laughs> you can't fool me. That's great, Cammy. What a wonderful story. Yeah, I, I I didn't realize the Helios, I mean, it makes sense, was so intertwined with Phoenix and Greek culture and such. Yeah, um, I had no idea either. Right, which totally, you know, Helios, the sun, um, the Phoenix, obviously, you know, it, it, it goes in. Pop quiz to, to listeners and to you, Cammy. what is the name <laughs> of Dumbledore's Phoenix? I know this. I'll give people a second. Three, two, one, Cammy. There you go. All right. That's the show. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We Kinley is into Harry Potter now, and we just watched that. We're, we're reading and watching like as we go and we just watched um the second film and it was fun seeing him and, and just the timing of it all and and that that, that kind of sums it up in a nutshell and that i love that that the best thing about the phoenix is the cyclical nature of it and that has fire rebirth that all has like a lot of that has a deep meaning throughout history not just not just something that we understand today but throughout history the, the cycle of, of life, it, it totally makes sense when there's, there are natural fires that happen everywhere at all times. I mean, unnatural, of course, but, and, and what comes from that is more life and stuff. So, and the Phoenix is, is definitely personification of that. Um, I want to start cause I, I actually, uh, I'm not trying to like tout my own um, listening. I like, I like to have an audio book that I'm listening to at all times, just while I'm driving and cooking and cleaning and laundrying and stuff like that, especially at home. And um I'm listening to uh, a really great book right now. Um, the, they're part of the great courses in history or hold on, what is it? Like the, the great, the great courses is what it's called. Right. Um, the, I've it's heard a, of that. Yeah. They're, they're usually pay for them. And yeah, the, um, the great courses it's, it's, and then there's, there's a, the great courses on tons of different stuff. And I'm listening to one by uh, Robert Garland. It's called Greece and Rome an integrated history of the ancient Mediterranean. And I, I, just a tip, if, if anyone wants to, I have a library card here and I can connect it to hoopla, H O like hoopla com, And I, I can listen to this for free too. I don't have to pay any money. And I've done this with a few other things. I've talked about them before, not as much, but Robert Garland, he's, he's like a super professor on ancient classics, Greek, Rome, all that, but going into like the modern age Byzantium and stuff like that, you know, he, he, he gets it very much so. And he's really great. Uh, instructor. And what's really cool about listening to this is this is specifically talking about the relationship between Greece and Rome and the evolution over time. And I I say this because that's really kind of uh, where the Phoenix that that's, this is the Phoenix. The Phoenix myth is very old. It's very deep and it, it takes form you know uh, uh, yes like the greeks were first and then the romans but there was a lot of borrowing there was a lot of back and forth we have um phoenician and persian and and everyone else that was in that that area and so and, and one thing you can't really miss 
whenever you start looking into the phoenixes the the related um depictions uh that are around or the analogs the uh, the analogous uh creatures and mythological beings in other cultures and there's tons of them and it's it's kind of easy to think i mean it's it's a bird but th- this is there's pretty specific because with with the phoenix there's there's the fire there's the rebirth and and initially enough like the colors of fire the, that seems to kind of go through over time now the, the cool thing is though we do have some sources um we have people like herodotus um in the fifth century bc uh even writing he was a great uh, greek historian one of one of the the most important um the the Greek poet Hesiod a uh, hundred years before that in the sixth century also writes on him and and Herodotus actually um, his writings are really clear this is something that the the audiobook I'm listening to mentions a lot is Herodotus and we've we his name has popped up a lot throughout our show but he he was writing on the Egyptians he was like talking about the Egyptians you know in the in the Mediterranean they were always um, the the Egyptians were very much a part of that. And they were the, the, uh, the grain, the breadbasket of Rome later as well as what they were kind of called. So that Egypt always had a, a big relationship with the Mediterranean. And he wrote about them and this bird and kind of saying how it's um, really hard to see, but it's, it's that. And, and then to kind of describes what we know as, as the Phoenix. Um, so it, it seems like the roots of it really kind of begin in Egypt, but I, like how we've talked about when we talked about Medusa and Gorgons, Gorgon, the, that that creature, just like Greek myth, is super ancient, like 15th century BCE and beyond. These, these, these way beyond what we we when they decided to start writing it through Homer and things like that. So it looks like the Phoenix is just as old. And if we had to kind of give it a starting point, Egypt would be kind of the best bet. And it's just so interesting because I, I, I uh, one of the sources I use, New World Encyclopedia, it has a great way of summing it up, is the most universal characteristic is the bird's ability to resurrect. That's such a specific thing that it can do. And it, and it seems like a rule. Like it can only be, there's only one around. It's around for a long time when it is around, but it will it will cycle. It will die and then come back. And um, it looks like that the, the earliest source regarding ancient uh, Egypt is the Bennu bird uh, relating to the word uh, weapon, which means to rise brilliantly or to shine. So there's some nice etymology there in Wikipedia's etymology section. Um, of course, kind of t- the word Phoenix we get from Latin, which uh, our modern version was reinforced by French as well. And during the middle ages, it took on a big meeting. Um, it, it, it meant like an excellent person. Um, it was also in a variety of heraldic emblems in the 15th century throughout. It was on things and then uh, the name of a constellation by the 17th century. So it kind of persisted always. And I think like the Renaissance uh, and the, the, the mid to late Middle Ages going into the Renaissance really helped that. I'm sure those texts started flowing around. Pretty bird called Phoenix. Boom. It makes sense, you know. But specifically, the Latin uh, word comes from the Greek word, and it's to kind of enunciate it a little bit. It it uh, phoenix is, I think, what the the pronunciation would be in Greek, and that Greek word is first attested to Mycenaean Greek ponike, which you know it kind of works. Um, this word though probably meant griffin, um, <laughs> but Wikipedia it just ends on this. It says though it might have meant palm tree. 
and then it just stops. It doesn't go on further there. So well, that makes sense if it's nesting in a palm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that works really good. Um, so, and, and uh, from Garland's book too, Mycenaean Greek. Um, so the Mycenaeans, if I just remember this right, uh, were the ones that besieged Troy. These, these were kind of like the first people to start really ramping up Greek identity and, and, converging Mediterranean identity in a way, um, which that that majorly happened later once the Romans kind of took over. But a, a really cool thing here, because I don't know if you've thought this, but whenever I heard of the Pho Phoenician society, the Phoenician society, um, uh, the ancient society. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to verbatim here from Wikipedia. So that word ponike is probably a borrowing from a West Semitic word for a matter, a red dye from the Rubia Tinctorum. The word phonotion appears to be from the same root, meaning those who work with red dyes. So phoenix may mean the phonotion bird or the purplish red bird. So that might be the 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 word phoenix, phonotion, that might be people who work with dye. And just for the sake of timing, in the, the book with uh, Garland that I'm listening to on on uh, kind of the entanglement of Greek and Roman culture. He mentions them, the Phoenicians, because they're really important because the Greeks, the, the people of them, they, they, uh, once they started trading more with the Phoenicians, they saw their alphabet and were like, that's great. And they took that alphabet. And then, you know, that evolved later, but he mentions how the Phoenicians did export dyes. Boom. That was just kind of crazy for me. I was reading, I was like, Oh my God, I just had a smart <laughs> Oxford scholar, like tell me this. So that's, there's the connection there to, to, to the Phoenician, and the Phoenician Empire, the Phoenician people, and the Phoenix. It 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 likely has to do with the dye, and and like as a Phoenician means those who work with red dyes. Could it, it has they have that same root? So I always had, I was always wondering that. And, and again, this is a red dye. The Phoenix is usually depicted it with fire colors of red and yellow, things like that. Very beautiful and elegant. And so I I was really pleased to kind of make that. Or, or see that that's the connection that that's made uh, essentially. And then uh, again, so yeah, the, from, from Phoenician to Greek to Latin, and then thanks to some French, that's how we have the word Phoenix in its meaning today. Um, although it pretty, you know, today it, it essentially just means this, this mythological verb. So I, I, that, that's, that's essentially it. I mean, the, you know, there's, there's tons of art. There's tons of other writings, of course, um, that I mentioned. But the earliest text that we have of of you know life uh, in in for the classical Greeks, they talked about it, and it looks like they talked about it again as being like kind of unnative, but it just sort of got absorbed in the culture. And you know, the every Greek wasn't unified. Um, by far, so uh, every little you know polis and city had its own kind of set of rules. So not everyone kind of worshipped the same way, but it looks like that sort of, sort of did it. Um, but this persisted into so into the ADs. Rome's doing its thing. It doesn't know what's going to happen in a couple hundred years when it uh, tumbles a little bit. But we have the great uh, Roman historian uh, and politician Tacitus. He was 80, 56 to 120. Um, he specifically wrote about it, saying that its color made it stand out from all other birds. Herodotus, um, Pliny Solanus, there we go. Yeah, I've already mentioned those. And Philostratus. Um, so they specifically, those were all BC, but they described the phoenix as similar size to an eagle. Um, other dramatists of, from that uh, the, the BC period claimed that the phoenix was larger than an eagle. Um, 
declaring it was even larger than an ostrich. So it was kind of debated by that. And, and some of the other cultures, so the analogs, uh, it, it like, um, you know, if you think of like a griffin and things like that, griffins were sort of depicted as being huge too. So if the word phoenix uh, is tied to the word for griffin, maybe the, this sort of, it, it, you know, maybe there wasn't the phoenix, but phoenix could have referred to a bird and that bird was just big as hell. So, but it, it, uh, it, it took a, a new meaning in the, the, the middle ages and the, or the dark ages and was depicted in art. You can see it sometimes even having a halo, which I thought was really interesting. There was, there's a lot of like Christianity sort of sentiment there with, with rebirth the in rebirth, general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. And, and the halo, you know, it kind of reminds me of the sun and light, um, I thought another cool thing too was um, what is it? There's a connection to so Zoroastrianism. Yeah, there's, so there's the Persian. One of the analogous uh, birds is the Persian Huma or bird of paradise. It consumes itself in fire every few hundred years, only to rise anew from the ashes. And I thought this was interesting because there's um, Zoroastrianism is an, a really old religion, um, Persian religion, and. Uh, in, in one of the Byzantine books I read from Lars Brownworth, he, he, they, they, the Byzantines had to, you know, work with the Zoroastrists and, um, he called them the fire worshipers. That was kind of that they, they fire is, is very, um, pure, it's purifying. It's very sacred. I don't, I like, I don't even think they would, um, like burn carcasses because that, that like muddied the, the fire and stuff like that. So it, it totally makes sense that uh, a bird that, you know, consumes itself in its own fire that, that, you know, that's a very special and pure sort of thing. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, there's also signs of the Phoenix being in uh, Arabia or West Asia, sort of the middle East, as we know it, um, the bird at dawn, it bathed in the water of a well, uh, and the Greek sun, uh, God Apollo stopped his chariot in order to listen to its song. Um, there's uh, another couple connections that are famous. The, um, uh, Garuda of India, um, the, the firebird of Vishnu. I've heard of Garuda before in like, um, Final Fantasy, other games, they've used that, the, that before. And the Chinese Feng Kuang, um, which also might be kind of tied to, but I don't, I don't think it's interesting. It's a firebird. Um, and in interest, Japan has, uh, borrows that Feng Huang as Ho-Oh, um, which is a Pokemon, like legit. I, just, I was like, oh, that's the Pokemon. And um, I don't really see that. I, I don't know how, I, you know, you could kind of believe the story of the Phoenix, of Bennu turning into Phoenix and then kind of going into Persia. That's pretty easy. Even India, thanks to Alexander the Great. It's it's sort of understanding that, but it's it, it's hard to say, like, did they receive it from the Phoenix and from Bennu or did they have it before? You know, is this a mytheme where it's an independent idea that's happening that's similar of a firebird? Um, or was it something that was spread and disseminated to these places? And they're like, oh, you know, that's it's it's kind of tough to, to say, but it's just really interesting that a, a strong character, a, a, a firebird was around in all of these places. So it, it, it's great. I, I really you can get lost in this. I, I was really happy to see that, uh, how strong this myth is, how 
it is essentially a myth theme of a fire bird. There's tons of little like podcasts we could do uh, on these other birds, but the Phoenix really has the connection to Bennu, the, an Egyptian fire bird. And just the cool thing is all of these birds, um, especially in, in the, around the Mediterranean, Egypt and such, uh, and Persia, they have this, the, the rebirth through fire. So I I've yapped enough. I think I'll leave it there. I, I, the, the big thing for me, uh, other than that, was, of course, the connection to the Phoenicians as well, which were, they were an ancient society, if you don't know, that um, in the Mediterranean that like weren't Greek, they weren't Roman, but they were a part of that orbit for, for some time. And they were they were again, we they gave us essentially they give the Greeks the alphabet, which, as you can, you know, you, you likely know the Latin and, and modern English kind of stems from in a lot of ways. So, yeah, really, Cammy decided to do this and it was great i mean it's it's such a well-known myth but uh or it's such an unknown myth not well known but everybody knows what a phoenix is thanks to jk rowling and harry potter but it really has some d- super deep ties which is just really cool so awesome well cammy thank you f- so much for your story on that uh everyone if you know anything about firebirds uh that aren't vehicles please let us know. Um, or if you really like cars, you know, we can do a car talk episode, <laughs> but uh, I think that about does it, Cammie. Um, what have I missed? Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. Find us on Twitter and Insta at myth story. That's with an I E you can go to uh, MythStory.threadless.com and buy swag. That's right. And, and watch us on YouTube too. We've been uh, streaming now uh, through StreamYard pretty good quality now so take a look on there if you'd like if you do of course you know remember thumb thumbs upping and subscribing helps us uh get out there speaking of that too we are going to start doing with popular opinion uh youtube channel a separate uh i guess what would you call it stream i don't know yeah yeah we'll, we'll be doing videos with cody on his show popular opinion yep we we did um, made that like a- so much easier <laughs> i don't know why i made it no, yeah, it's it's a little different. Yeah, we we did the wheel of misfortune. That was a lot of fun. Um, we don't have that available on our sh- channel, but um, you can check out Cody through us. He's he's a part of us, our community, and um, that was fun. And we're going to do some s- stuff based off of because there's tons of pops that are based off of uh, mythological figures too. So that'll be really fun. We'll make it all work. So yeah, very good call out, Cami. That's why I have you here. <laughs> well, everyone, um, thank you for listening. Let us know what you think. And we will see you next time. Oh. Oh.